Good morning and welcome to episode 374 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus. I'm Ben Lindbergh, joined by Sam Miller. Mm. How are you? Good. Here. I'm here. Good. That's all I ask of you. Um, So uh, our discussion the other day about players who took hometown discounts, uh, you, you put me on the spot and asked me for some, and... I failed. Yeah, um, yeah, you did. In our Facebook group, uh, Brady Childs reminded me of the Cliff Lee deal with the Phillies, which uh, sort of qualifies. It was, in, I don't know, it was it was generally agreed that he left money on the table. Yeah, uh, but he didn't get it. Guaranteed but he, money. But he got a higher, I would say he got a higher average annual value out of it. He did, yes. Uh, I think Halliday, on the other hand. Hmm. The holiday one was. Oh well, yeah, super. that yeah that one was that was yeah that was hard to understand. Um, yeah, so yeah, I don't know. He got five years instead of the seven he could have gotten from the Yankees, or six with a player option, or something like that. Um, but you're right, the the AAV was lower, so I don't know if it qualifies, but it comes close. Um, yeah, sure. And then the other news today was that uh, we lost Uni. To Japan, Unieski hmm. Unieski Betancourt signed with the Oryx Buffaloes, hmm. which makes me sad. All right, so let's uh, start a pool. What day will he break the all-time home run record? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I was considering asking you what you thought his slash line would be in Japan, because uh, he, I don't know, he kind of feels like a player who would be good there. Like, I had this... I have this vague idea in my mind of the type of player who does well there, and I don't know whether it's backed up by anything. It probably is just Vladimir Ballantin, basically. Um, but he, I, I don't know. I'm sorry to to see him go because he was kind of a fun. I mean, who's the who's the player punchline now? Yeah, I. Um, there is no one. I, I don't. I'm fairly confident that nobody has played as much at as low a level as he has for so long according to according to baseball reference and uh i have to go to baseball reference because i think the others uh find an outlier positive season here and there but Mm -hmm. according to baseball reference he has been below replacement level every year since 2007 (laughs) every year every year every (laughs) single year and in that time he has gotten 590 played appearances, 508, 588, 584, 228, and 409. Last year, primarily at first base. And uh, so there is nobody who is currently crushing teams the way that at least the uh, advanced metrics suggest strongly that he is. Um, I mean, Jeff Francoeur is the closest thing I think we have to a, a comparable player in the public image. Mm-hmm. Um, but but Frank Coor is not going to be getting 500 plate appearances anytime soon. I don't even know where Frank Coor is right now. 
Uh, he signed with the Indians, right? Minor league deal, I think. Um, So I don't know who the, I mean, you know, there's, yeah, I don't know who would be the next guy who could conceivably put up six consecutive negative war seasons in full-time play. It's not easy to do. Uh, I wonder how many times that is, that's happened. Um, I, I don't know. I was looking forward to, to watching how he would play this season because he, you know, like if he had stayed, it seems it feels almost inevitable that he would have played somehow or other. Like some improbable situation would have come up, just like it did last year, where a team has you know Corey Hart get get hurt and and then Alex Gonzalez is their starting first baseman on opening day, and then Uni is there, and you just stick him at first for much of the season, uh, even though that is killing you. Um, so I was looking forward to seeing how it would happen this year, but now it, it won't. So, uh, Unieski Betancourt, uh, in, let's see, uh, since 1980, uh, only one player has had more negative war seasons with 200 plate appearances at least in each season than Uni. Which is pretty impressive because he's now leaving us at, at, at age 31. I mean, he had, like, that's, this is the prime sub-replacement yeah. <laughs> part of your career. I mean, he's, he's giving up, basically, it would be like if, he, if Willie Mays had gone to Japan for ages 27 to 29. Like, he's leaving, like, really right in his sweet spot. He's young enough that teams will keep giving him contracts and arguably paying him and, and old enough that he's going to get worse. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet he, uh, he, he's, he's second since 1980. Um, and, uh, in his defense, Desi Relaford, uh, is tied with him and also left at, at age, uh, 31 and Todd Benzinger is tied with him and left at age 31. Uh, the other guys who are tied with him, Brent Maine and, and John Mabry and, um, uh, Wes Helms all took longer to do it, but, um, uh, there's one player with more. Do you, you're never going to get it, and I hate hearing you think. Gary, Gary DiSarcina. Good guess. Let me let me see how uh, uh, DiSarcina does uh, does not appear to have ever had a. Let's see, DiSarcina did not reach three. I guess it seems mm. likely, mm. or at least he he certainly didn't reach four. Mm-hmm. Uh, so no, the answer is it's a recent guy, and it's actually a guy that you think is pretty good. Like in your head, you, you've remembered this guy as being pretty good. Um, but it's Jose Guillen. Oh, okay. I don't with know. Eight, with eight, by the way, you wow. need six. Yeah. Jose Guillen at eight. Yeah. I don't know if I would say that I think of him as being pretty good, but, uh, I do. The, the, the I time would. has, time is, uh, the, the wind has swept away a lot of, uh, the bad seasons. And in my mind, I remember him, you know, having, some good years, like with the Reds. He had that really good year with the Reds, didn't he? Yes. Yeah. He. What? He had like a a thirty homer year. Billy uh, Bean Bean acquired him. Although thirty homer year ten years ago was not what it is now, but he slug, um, he, he did slug five sixty nine that year though. Yeah. And uh, yeah, he was good with the Angels. Mm-hmm. Had some good years. So I remember him being somewhat good. Uh. Well, now you won't. The main reason I remember Jose Guillen is that the um, 
the Giants had him. The Giants acquired him and Cody Ross almost simultaneously and made the decision that Guillen was their guy and played Guillen throughout the the pennant race all the way until the end of the season. And then um, so I guess they it seemed as though they maybe had some notice that he was about to get suspended for HGH, and so mm-hmm. they left him off the postseason roster and went with their second choice, Cody Ross, on the mm-hmm. postseason roster. And Cody Ross like won all three MVP awards in that postseason or something like that and was this ultimate postseason hero. So it was his timeliness in getting suspended that saved Bruce Bochy from himself and is the reason that we now think that Bruce Bochy is a great manager and Brian Sabian is a pretty good GM. Mm-hmm. Even though they did not want to actually play Cody Ross. All right. Well, farewell, Uni. We wish you well, and we hope to, to see you back in the States someday. Um, okay, so for my topic, uh, I was at a loss, uh, as as we both usually are for most of the day at this point in the year when we're trying to come up with a topic, but then a listener named Jesse uh, posted a link to Tom Verducci's Baseball State of the Union in the Facebook group and suggested that we talk about it, and I was only too happy to take him up on that suggestion. Uh, so Tom Verducci posted a, a very long article, uh, Baseball State of the Union, Some Ways to Improve the Game at Sports Illustrated. It is a, a two-page article. It starts out by talking about how great things are in baseball financially, and then it talks about how they're not so great in terms of interest level relative to other sports or relative to to what the interest level used to be. And uh, there's, there's kind of a... A, a questionable paragraph, I think, where he's, he says, uh, what has hurt baseball's younger viewership may be more about how culture changed. Many of the qualities associated with baseball are less valued in today's society than they were in 1986. Qualities such as teamwork, humility, patience, pensiveness, perseverance, and strategizing. The qualities that have gained in cultural value are not associated with baseball, such as self-promotion, entrepreneurship, violence, action, noise, and gambling. In 1986, people bought albums, read books, and watched network TV. Now they buy songs, read tweets, and watch video on their phones. Uh, so kind of a, a grumpy old man paragraph there. But most of most of the articles is good stuff and pretty thought-provoking. And the, the second page is just suggestions uh, for how to make baseball better. Um, and some of them sort of resemble listener emails that we get and discuss. So uh, I thought I would run down the list and we can talk about them and see if you see if you like them. Um, so the first one is uh, really makes me think that he must have misplaced our email address uh, and put this into a column instead, because this is a, a classic, effectively wild listener email show idea. Uh, he calls it the bonus batter. And apparently he proposed it last year also. Uh, Each manager, each game, gets to pick one at bat when he can send any batter to the plate, including somebody already in the lineup, to bat for someone else without having to lose the player who gives up the at bat. The idea is to get the stars of the game to the plate in the biggest moments, and if the manager picks the right spot, a situation where he can't be walked. It also adds tension and strategy to the game. Then he says, uh, sounds crazy. People thought the same thing in 1973 about the idea of designating one player to do nothing but hit, which is uh, 
I don't know that this is crazier. <laughs> this is crazier than that was then. But uh, what do you think of the bonus batter idea? Uh, you know, I always thought that that the carpool lane um, should everybody should have one day of the month that you get to ride in the carpool lane without having a carpool. Mm-hmm. And I just feel like like it, the carpool lane, it, it's like it's too binary. There are some days when people really need that lane, you know, like you're you got to get your kids or something. And there's a societal need for people to be able to use the the lane just once, you know, not regularly. Obviously, you don't want to clutter it up, but you should get one day when it's more important to you than anybody else <laughs> to have that lane. And that's kind of what this is, I guess. And I guess I don't have much more to say than a random tangential idea I had once about the carpool lane. I, <laughs> I think that um, this comes back to what we talked about once, which is that you have to decide what you want in baseball. Do you want to see uh, as much of the best hitters and the best pitchers facing each other as much as possible? Is that the platonic ideal of the game? Or do you want to see a uh, sort of uh, competition that uh, – that is uh, more interesting because of the limitations you put on it and forces inferior players in. Um, I don't have a, um, I, I, I don't know. I don't have a, I like the idea of having a bomb that you get to throw at some point mm-hmm. in the game, like some super bomb that you get to throw that you get to hold in reserve. I don't like this one particularly. The, mm-hmm. Nothing about the first paragraph that he wrote captivated me. Mm-hmm. Well, a lot of his his central theme seems to be that baseball's kind of boring, or at least that uh, all the kids who are into violence and gambling and tweets um, they find baseball boring. And so these are sort of ways to make it more interesting or more compelling to a modern audience. And there is a kind of an interesting point in the article made by an anonymous NL executive who who suggests that baseball is sort of propped up by... The fact that uh, that live programming is so valuable today, that because there is just so much baseball live programming, um, that has made the sport financially successful, but at the same time turned lots of people off, and that the sport has kind of been saved uh, through no no action of its own, but just the circumstances that that live TV in the DVR era is super valuable and and super, you know, financially rewarding. Um, and so a lot of Verducci's suggestions seem to be to, to make baseball more exciting to an audience that needs more of a adrenaline rush, I suppose, or to make it more marketable. And, and this probably would make it more marketable. Um, to, you think so? I, I mean, think so. Uh, to get, yeah, to get the stars of the game to the plate in the biggest moments, yeah. yes. But on the other hand, um, like a lot of times the stars of the game are at the plate in the biggest moments and it would be less interesting if you knew that the star at the plate at the biggest moment gets to come up two batters later, you know, like there's something mm-hmm. about the, the relative scarcity of this showdown mm-hmm. that makes it, um, you know, interesting. I, I, I really, I don't know. I just don't know that I feel particularly in the 2,430 regular season games, where they just sort of flow like a creek through your life, mm-hmm. and none none really ever achieves that particular emotional climax that you know like an NFC championship ever does. I just don't really feel like like there's this mass of Americans who are gonna like notice that um, 
you know, Freddie Freeman is batting against Sergio Romo, let's run to the TV, you know? Like, <laughs> it just doesn't really feel like it's the sort of thing that shifts any particular paradigms. Mm. Yeah, uh, he he points out that the, the wild card games have had very good ratings, that they've had better ratings than any of the non-elimination games in, like, the, the championship series round or something. Um, that people seem to be responding to this this sudden death nature of it. Um, and this, I don't know, he's trying to tap into that that desire to see more on the line or uh, I, maybe there'd be, I don't, he says it adds strategy to the game. I don't know whether it does really um, because it would it would almost be like an automatic move, right? The bonus batter, I mean, if you're allowed to to do that, you would just you would just use your best batter for that matchup. I I don't know how much how much of a wrinkle it really adds to it. Um, there would be another move, but it would be kind of an obligatory move. Um, his next suggestion uh, is I don't know that I don't know that I I don't know that I necessarily agree with that. I I, I think I probably agree with that. But I'm sure there are things that we're not thinking of. Like, for instance, let's say your best hitter is Barry Bonds in 2003. You want to get him up, but you also want to get him up with runners on base. And your best chance of having a runner on base is to have Barry Bonds on base. You know, so like, how do you split up your? You might split up your order slightly differently, um, so that like you ideally you would have this guy bat for the eighth or ninth batter, mm-hmm. and I, but ideally you'd also have him bat with the bases loaded and the bases are less likely to be loaded for the eighth or ninth batter than they are for the third or fourth batter. And so maybe you, maybe you stagger your lineup more, you know, I mean, mm. like I, I don't, I don't doubt that there are seven or eight article possible articles about the optimal strategy of, of this rule. Um, so mm. I'm not, I'm not willing to cast it aside for simplicity necessarily. It just doesn't, doesn't necessarily appeal to me. Like why one, for instance, it just feels like sort of arbitrary. Why one, why, you know, why not just, why not all of them? Why not just, just anytime you want, you can send anybody you want it. That sounds more interesting to me. It would, it would give us more to talk about and more to write about because inevitably you would get, I don't know, it, it reveals a lot about what the manager thinks of his players in a way, right? If you, I don't know, you'd have, uh, you like, who would, who would, uh, Dusty Baker have sent up as his bonus batter last year it, with runners on. It probably would have been, you know, Brandon Phillips every time. And then it we would could, not. Oh, come on. <laughs> we could argue about come that. Come on. Get it, over it. He's a producer. It would not have been Brandon Phillips. He's not an idiot. He drives and runs. Yeah. Um, next Anyway, addition. Anyway, Brandon Phillips is a switch hitter. And so even if he did send up <laughs> Brandon Phillips, we could just say, oh, it was a platoon advantage. <laughs> yeah. Uh, next suggestion is the summer game. He says it makes no sense that uh, because baseball has the has the sports calendar mostly to itself in the in midsummer uh, around when the All Star break is that that the schedule goes dark for a couple days after the All Star game that it needs to capitalize on this uh, having a monopoly on the sports schedule by having some sort of event programming. So he says it should. Schedule one game for the Thursday after the All-Star game, bill it as the summer game, and play it at an iconic American venue 
such as the foothills near Mount Rushmore, the mall in Washington, D.C., the Field of Dreams field in Iowa, Doubleday Field in Cooperstown, the Rose Bowl, Michigan Stadium, etc. In some cases, you may need to build a temporary field and compromise on attendance and dimensions, but you're talking about one regular season game out of 2,430 that is visually stunning, brings Major League Baseball to a place it never has been before, appeals to the event appetite of demanding sports viewers, and underscores baseball's unique place in Americana. This, I mean, clearly this doesn't go far enough. It should be, place, like, it should be, um, you know, like, on a mountain. Like, this, is, if they want, if he wants to get in the email show, he needs to uh, yeah. introduce uneven playing fields, you know? Like, right. it should be... Uh, you know, on like, an aircraft carrier, like they played, a, a, they played basketball on an, an aircraft carrier. So that, on an aircraft carrier, thank yeah, you, man. Right. So that's settled. Yeah, <laughs> we're on board with this. If you put it on an aircraft carrier, yeah. Uh, practically speaking, players would probably hate this. Um, Do you I, think I so? I mean, it, it uh, is only it is only one game. I mean, they'll they these guys are pretty used to the slog. That I, I think that if you give do, if you I mean you could. Give the team a day off later in the week. Probably that would make up for it mostly. They'd have to cut their vacations short. But, uh, eh, I mean, it's not going to move the needle much either way, probably. Mm-hmm. But it's not a bad I'd, suggestion. I'd watch that game, but I'd watch almost any game that's the only game going. So mm-hmm. yeah. you, could, you, could, you could play it in Tampa Bay, and I'd, <laughs> I'd watch it. Uh, Bracket-style home run derby. The I like form- that one. By the way, I like yeah. that one more than I like the bonus batter. So if we're uh-huh. keeping score, that's my pick. I'm, I'm voting for it so okay. far. All right. Uh, Bracket-style home run derby. The current format is tedious and uninspired. Uh, you will get no argument from us on that. Do away with rounds of hitting. Select the 16 most high-profile sluggers and let them go at it bracket-style. Can you say office pool? How about Harper going to head-to-head against Mike Trout? Winner advances, loser is knocked out think you might want to watch that i would want to watch that that's true i would want well no i wouldn't actually I but yeah i mean if i were going to want to watch a home run derby i would want to watch that more than something else i i, th- I we've talked about the home run derby I, I think that the 16 most high pro- profile sluggers kills my interest um mm-hmm. th- because i don't particularly want to watch 16 more or less equal type hitters going up against each other uh, so i think if he came up with a uh, you know 16 guys that i got to choose and they were brackets. Brackets are more interesting than than the rounds as currently is. <laughs> yeah, I I don't know. It's not that compelling to me, even if it's a bracket, because you're not competing against each other, really. I mean, you're uh, right. It's it's like golf or something. You're playing against the course, and you're playing sort of with someone else, but you're not directly competing against that person. If if Mike Trout had Wait. to had to pitch to Bryce Harper or something, and they each had to pitch to each other. Maybe I'd watch that, but as it is, I mean, you're competing against yourself and the batting practice pitcher in the stadium, and you just happen to be matched up with someone else uh, who is in your bracket. But there's no actual head-to-head competition. I suppose that 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 is somewhat true. Not, not, it doesn't totally ruin the idea for me, but it's somewhat true. I, um, uh, it would be good if they alternated swings. Yeah, it would. Well, it would also give Chris Berman a whole lot more time to talk in between 
people walking to and from the plate. If they had, if they had a, a righty and a lefty, and they each stand on one side of the plate and they take alternate swings. Yeah. All right. That's what I'm uh, about. Best. Eh, of... You can't. There is no fix for baseball that involves the home run derby. I'll just say that. <laughs> um, best of five LCS. Uh, so basically, he's saying that the shorter a, a series is, the more urgent and exciting it is. The more people are into it, the higher ratings it gets. Uh, a best of five LCS, which is the way it used to be, pumps more urgency into the postseason and lifts the profile of the World Series, which becomes the only best of seven round instead of just another round. Um, so this is, I don't know, we've talked to, uh, before about how we balance having the best team win versus having something exciting. Um, but well, also, even if you're having, even if each game is individually more exciting, you're getting fewer games. And so is it, yeah. is it 140% more exciting uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, to, to balance out? I mean, where does the math come in? I mean, each game in a seven game series is quite exciting. And each game in a five game series might be slightly more exciting, but it has to be it has to be proportionally more exciting to make up for the loss of actual games. I mean, you can make the case that um, that uh, you know a thirteen-game series might be less exciting each game, but there'd be twice as many games. So mm-hmm. there's a there's a there is a sweet spot somewhere, uh, but it sounds like this uh, you know the, the like just saying oh five is better than seven is a, is a little bit too easy. Yeah, I would rather, I'd rather have seven anyway. I like seven. Seven's good. Yeah, we like seven, seven. seven. The two three two is is beautiful. The two three two is is un, un unimpeachable. Right. It, I mean, this these suggestions are mostly to attract people who are not already watching baseball. We are we are hooked as it is. So the more baseball, the better for us and for most of the people listening to this. But uh, I, I don't know. I, it's hard to imagine that anyone would really get into baseball because there are two fewer games in an LCS. Um, I mean, if it were all one game, then I think it would. I think a lot. I think yeah, there are, uh-huh. actually are a lot of people who would watch if each series was one game, like a yes. lot of people. Yeah, I agree. But then, what do you got? Then you've got a. Then you've got the. Uh, you know, you've got college football. Yeah. Um, and then we couldn't play the player, pay the players. Well, yeah, this would this would never happen because of uh, because of money, but. Um, Okay, uh, the next idea is one that we've discussed. I think we might have done most of a show on it. The the Scott Boris suggestion for a neutral site World Series. Um, no, no. <laughs> Boris says, I'm big on the World Series being a planned event. The problem with World Series ratings right now is that they are regional. And that may be the case, but I don't see how the neutral site fixes that at all. Um, because it's not... It's not that people all around the world are not tuning into the World Series <laughs> in a neutral site. Like, can you imagine somebody in like LA turns it on? And he's like, "Oh, it's the St. Louis Arch. I'm not watching this." <laughs> One team has home field advantage. This is unfair. I don't want to watch anymore. Uh, yeah, so look I don't... at that downtown. <laughs> That's not my downtown. <laughs> Plus, also, even if that were the case, it would still only be in one downtown, right? Well, yeah, I guess so. Unless, unless you have multiple neutral sites for one series, so I, I don't, don't, I don't know how it fixes anything. If you, if you put it in a warm weather place every year, 
I I don't know. Even that, I mean, it, the World Series sells out as it is, so it's not like you need to attract fans. I guess you could have all sorts of World Series week events and make it into some sort of baseball festival, and maybe maybe that would attract people. Uh, but I can't imagine that the ratings would be any different, really. I mean, it's hard to... Who would watch it because it's in a neutral site instead of the city that one of those teams plays in? You just upset the fans of that team without attracting any others. I don't get it. Yeah. I don't know. All right. All right. Uh, we're vetoing that one. The next one, fund college baseball. Baseball literally has billions of dollars set aside. And for what, said one club executive, uh, what they should and can do tomorrow is to fund scholarships for college programs. Verducci makes the point that baseball programs are allowed only 11.7 full scholarships uh, or, or scholarships at all. Full scholarships are very rare. Uh, and of course, basketball and football pay the full cost of college for a lot of elite players, uh, which provides some incentive for, for athletes to choose those sports over baseball. Um, of course, that is presumably because those sports are very profitable for the schools, whereas baseball is not. So that theoretically then is where Major League Baseball steps in. Are you buying it? Uh, no. <laughs> okay. I, don't, I don't. When I well, when I when I turn on a, a game and it's the uh, Astros and the Indians in September, and I have a hard time getting into it, I don't think. Oh, if only they fixed NCAA baseball. <laughs> no. Well, it's it, it definitely wouldn't attract anyone else unless... I, I, the idea is, is building for the future, I suppose, and the idea that you would attract better talent to the sport. Yeah. I actually don't think that better talent matters. I, I'm, I'm fairly certain that the talent relative to itself is, you know, going to stay fairly consistent. And that most people aren't capable of telling the difference between, you know, the talent as is and the talent times, you know, 1.002. Mm-hmm. And so I don't think it's that significant mm-hmm. that six players have chosen to take a football scholarship instead of a baseball scholarship. The other thing is that baseball is the only sport of the three at which you can get, you know, your $300,000 or your $3 million out of high school and so they already have an advantage and I mean in a sense college baseball sort of competes with what I think clubs would all prefer which is that they get guys out of high school so they can start teaching them Mm change-ups yeah uh, I'd rather have baseball spend its billions of dollars set aside on funding college baseball than than on doing nothing with that I guess, because I might conceivably get something out of the college baseball being funded, whereas I get nothing out of owners profiting. But I, I, I don't, uh, I don't expect them to give up their profits for this, and I don't know that it would, don't know that it would help all that much. Uh, and then the remaining suggestions are all pretty much things that we've talked about, and are all targeted toward shortening the length of games, uh, install a pitch clock which we mm. talked about, you you were not a fan of the pitch clock. Do you uh, remember why I wasn't a fan? It's because of anxiety, wasn't it? 
I feel like I liked the anxiety aspect of it. Mm. I think that the reason I didn't like it is because the players don't want it, and I feel like it's the player's game. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, his idea is just, uh, just basically to enforce what the rule book already says by... Yeah. So I think um, it, I think it'd be probably would probably just be better to take it out of the rule book. Uh-huh. I mean, you could enforce it. You could enforce it, and that's something that has been said for a hundred years. Yeah. And the fact that it doesn't just suggests to me that like us out here, we just don't appreciate it. the players don't want it. There's a reason they don't want it. There's a reason that they don't push for this. That the umpires don't push it. I mean, the game generally moderates itself fairly well. And I feel like this is something that is not a new concept. It's like 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 literally many decades that mm-hmm. this idea just gets kicked around casually, and it's just not something that anybody in the game actually wants. So I also don't really feel like the length of the game is a. I mean, you could cut ten minutes out of it, and I don't think it would do much. Mm-hmm. So uh, I feel like the length of the game. Uh, I mean, the the product itself is a long form product, and some mm-hmm. people don't want that, and it limits its market. But how is it going to survive in the Twitter era? Yeah, no, I mean, how is it going to survive <laughs> with with record record <laughs> revenues? But this the revenue is being propped up by by TV advertising. It's just, are they going it's, to? Yeah, it's okay. No one actually okay. likes the sport. You understand? Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, limit timeouts. Baseball is the only sport where teams get an unlimited number of timeouts. If the manager and pitching coach are limited in their trips to the mound, so should the catcher. Uh, I'm fine with that. That's a good that. idea. Yeah. yeah, that's that's absolutely true. The catcher, yeah. The, I mean, the there are times where there are several several catcher trips out there for really no other reason than that they just I don't know what signs they're using, or they just can't seem to can't seem to get on the same page, can't seem to communicate. That seems like something that, that they should probably work out on their own time. Uh, so we don't have to watch them figure out what their signs are. Um, yeah. That'd be nice. I agree. And uh, limit pitching changes. Um, and I'm sure we've talked about this at some point. Uh, he suggests that a pitcher has to obtain an out before he could be removed, or you gave a manager an allowance of only one mid-inning change per inning. Um, I prefer the former. I like the one-out rule because it puts pressure on you to actually get an out you could imagine a guy who simply cannot get that out and it would get giddier and giddier it would be like the guy who can't throw a strike and you would sort of be very aware that the manager is on the front step dying to pull him and the pitcher himself is out there just 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 like like just going nowhere in his life and (laughs) uh we would all love it those would be great scenes so you'd get you get tight close-ups I like I like almost anything that leads to tight close-ups of sweaty ball players. So uh, yeah, I'd be all all in favor. That one's my that's my favorite idea. And the last one is uh, one that he suggests and then immediately undercuts. Uh, he he says start every batter with a one and one count, uh, and then he says this is too radical for my tastes. <laughs> so this I mean this is basically the same as just making giving a batter two strikes and. I mean, making a strikeout two strikes and a walk three balls, you could just do that. Um, But he says this is a a common tactic for amateur coaches in scrimmages to improve the pace of play. 
to get more repetitions for hitters, pitchers, and fielders, and it does work toward creating a faster game. Uh, you seem not to believe that the length of the game is a problem, so I assume that you are against this. Well, if you were, I mean, I could. Uh, the length of the game is is an is potentially an issue. I just don't think that things that cut eight minutes from the game are particularly significant. I think if, if you wanted to change the product to make it an hour and a half entertainment event, that's that's actually would be fine with me. I, I mean, if you did it in a way that didn't make me hate baseball, mm-hmm. that would be fine with me. It's just that changing it from three hours to two hours and 50 minutes does nothing and, in my mind. And but this would be a dramatic change. So this would be a dramatic change. This it would absolutely be a dramatic change. Mm-hmm. Um, and although you might argue that what actually ends up happening is that it increases dramatically the three true outcomes incentives for each side mm-hmm. and that you have uh, batters that are much closer to drawing a walk and pitchers that are much closer to striking batters out. Mm-hmm. And so it could actually end up slowing down the game because instead of having uh, – it would just completely eliminate the even pretense of pitching to contact. Yeah. Um, and uh, you would just have a, a game in which you don't even need defenders. Yeah, and he mentions he mentions that problem on the first page about the decreasing contact rate. Um, so you're right. Oh yeah, Verducci hates the decreasing <laughs> contact rate. That's his, <laughs> that's his pet project is getting everybody to put the bat on the ball. Which yeah, not going so fine. well. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, he should try arguing that people should strike out more. See what happens. All right, uh, so that was that was Tom Verducci's State of the Union. Um, some some good suggestions in there. Uh, yes, and uh, the whole article is definitely worth reading, especially for the the first page. I will link to it and uh, the Facebook group and on the blog post at BP. This is not on topic, but I spent a day uh, reading about. I re- I spent the day reading old Sports Illustrated articles mm-hmm. by chance and. Uh, a whole lot. Of, uh, it seems like half of them. If you search anything on Sports Illustrated, half of the old articles are Tom Verducci, mm-hmm. and he is so good. Yeah. Like when he when he writes feature articles, he is so good at his job. Yeah. And I just think that everybody should just appreciate like like what a just absolute genius he is at what he does. Mm. Uh, when just he, a pretty when face. He, when he digs into a profile, there's nobody better. Mm-hmm. Super good. Yep. Okay, uh, that's the show. Send us emails at podcast at baseballperspectus.com.